Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today. And I'm just going to echo what Chris said earlier. Can we get a little shout out to all of our parking and setup and sign team that were out in the rain this morning? Amen. Uh, love it when we have guys and, 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 uh, and ladies in our church that just pour out their hearts in serving the Lord in those ways. So um, we're going to dive back into God's Word together this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 is where we're headed. Uh, so this whole series in Acts is uh, going to take us a while, but we're kind of doing mini-series as we go along. And right now we're in a series called The Power of the Spirit. Just kind of pressing in on who is the Holy Spirit and how does he work and what's that mean for our lives and, and God's church. And so we're going to see more of that in Acts chapter 2 again today. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a hardback black one on the floor somewhere there around you. We'd love for you to grab one of those and, and follow along that way as well. Um, so growing up, you know, neither one of my parents were really like big athletes per se. Like, so sports were not like a big thing in our house when I was kind of growing up. So I remember the kind of the first time I was exposed, uh, that I can remember at least, to basketball was we had just moved into this new neighborhood and there was all these kids in the neighborhood and one of the boys had a basketball hoop in their driveway. And so I remember going outside one day to play and looking over and seeing kind of all the older boys playing basketball and I was like instantly hooked. Like that was like, that's awesome. And so I started kind of playing with them and kind of learning the game and, or at least the, the street ball version of the game, if you, if you know what I'm talking about. So, um, so we're, we're playing basketball. And, and so a couple years later, I finally got my first tryout for like my first real basketball team. You know, like just not like on the street, but like going to play for So I, I'm going for this tryout and I knew like this was my moment. Like this was my time to shine. I've been playing with these boys for all these years. I knew this. I was ready to go. And uh, so I was, I was going to step in and, and do this. And it became... Um, woefully apparent in the first couple of days of tryouts um, that I didn't have it, right? Like there were skills and, and techniques and, and things that these other boys on that were trying to had learned from like proper coaching and teams that I had never learned because I had just been playing in the neighborhood and, and I did not have it. And so after a couple of days of tryouts, I ended up getting cut from the team. And um, if you've ever tried out for something that you really, really wanted and then got cut or didn't get it, you know kind of the pain of that, right, and how heartbreaking that can be for you. And, um, but as painful as that was, it was also good and necessary and helpful because what those tryouts did is it told me the truth about myself. It told me the truth of where my skills really were and where they weren't. And so from there, I went on and I started practicing the drills that I had learned at the tryouts at home. And I started going to open gyms with some coaches. And I went to a basketball camp that summer. And I came back the next year and made the team. And then the next year, I had a spotted a shot on varsity. And like, but I could have never gotten there if I didn't first learn the truth of what was lacking. Are you tracking with me today? The same thing is true for us spiritually. There comes a point where we have to learn the truth about our lives and our spiritual state before we can move forward in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not until I see the truth of what is that I can decide to turn towards the truth of what could be in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is going to show us that. He's going to preach that to us through the sermon that Peter gives here in Acts chapter 2. And here's what I want you to see as we tear this apart today. The Spirit tells me the truth about myself and my Savior. The Spirit tells me the truth 
about myself, my state, where I'm at, and the truth about who Jesus is in response to that. That's what Holy Spirit preaching looks like. We're going to see that in Peter's example today. So if you were with us last week, or if you weren't, I'll kind of catch you up. So the beginning of chapter 2, all, everybody, all the 120 people are in the room. They're praying. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes, fills them. They go out into the street, and they start preaching the gospel in other languages that they didn't previously know. And people start hearing this in their languages, and a big crowd gathers together. Several thousands of people. And in that moment, verse 14, Peter steps up to the plate. Let's look at verse 14 together. It says, But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he's going to quote the book of Joel here from the Old Testament. It says, in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and, sons, uh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So here's the first thing I want you to see about Holy Spirit preaching through Peter here, okay? Let me just kind of get that on the table. I'm going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit preaching today, but we're all clear that that's coming through the voice of Peter at this point, right? We're all on that page. You with me there? Okay. So the first thing I want you to see here is that Holy Spirit preaching is bold. It's bold. There's a boldness to it. Um, and as we start to look at preaching in the book of Acts, let me kind of just lay this out there as well, just so we're all clear. As we go through the book of Acts over the next year, there are 19 different sermons or speeches, Christian speeches, in the book of Acts. It makes up more than 25% of the whole book. So 25% of the book are people talking to us about Jesus. Right? And and these sermons and these speeches, as they're recorded in the book of Acts, are not recorded verbatim. Do you understand that? Like, this isn't a word-for-word -word account of what was said. First of all, they're all really too short. If you read them or speak them, they would take you about one to five minutes, depending on which sermon it is. So they're way shorter than what the person would have actually said in that moment. Plus, there were no recordings back then, right? They didn't have, you know, recording equipment or, or you know, recording devices to record it and then transcribe it out later. So you don't have a word-for-word a, a -word account here. Plus, Luke, the guy who's writing all of this, wasn't even present for many of these sermons or speeches. What he's done is he's talked to people who were there or the people who gave it and got their kind of summary account of what was said. But please understand, that does not take anything away from the power and the truth that lies in these sermons and speeches because they were still inspired by the Holy Spirit both when they were spoken and when they were summarized and written. And so we can be clear that this is what God has said to his people through these acts. Luke, even in verse 40 in this chapter, a little bit later, he's going to say that Peter, he says, and with many other words, Peter bore witness and continued to exhort them. So Luke's not even trying to pretend like, hey, this is exactly what was said. He's like, no, no, this is what, some of what was said, and then he went on to say more. But this was the part that you needed to know. This was the important part, if you will. So, 
Here we see Peter step up to preach, and I want you to notice Peter's boldness when he does this. Several thousand people have gathered together now, and he just stands up, and it says that he lifted up his voice. So just, I just want you to picture this for a moment with me, okay? Pretend you were one of the 120, right? You're in the room for 10 days, huddled up, praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit, scared to go out because you don't know what's going to happen. And then finally the Holy Spirit comes, everybody rushes out, you start preaching, thousands of people flock into the streets. And then you're like, oh shoot, now, do we do, now what do we do? <laughs> like, we got all these people, now what? And Peter steps up without any preparation. He preaches his first ever Christian sermon to thousands of people with no hesitation. You don't just do that on your own. That is a Holy Spirit boldness that has filled Peter and has caused him to stand and speak in this way. We know that even from the text. Right after it says that he stand and lift up his voice, it says that he addressed them. Do you see that word there in your text, addressed them? The Greek word behind addressed literally means a spirit-inspired utterance. So Luke is telling us when he stand up and addressed them, he is speaking from the power of the Spirit. And so boldness comes upon him. But I want you to see specifically why was Peter so bold? Besides the fact that the Holy Spirit is there and with them, why is Peter so bold in the way that he is speaking here? I think it's three things that we see in the text. Number one, we see God's working. Boldness from the Holy Spirit comes when God starts working in your life. All right? So if you know your Bible at all, um, you know a little bit about Peter. Peter was, was kind of a, a big deal in the disciples, and he's kind of been around. He's kind of been a major player for a while. And Peter knows from experience the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. It was not just seven weeks before this that Peter denied even knowing Jesus three times in public right after he had just told Jesus, oh, I'll never deny you. I'll never leave you. Right? Like, I'm all in, Jesus. That's not me, man. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. And then three times people were like, hey, weren't you, don't you know him? He's like, no, I don't know him. I don't know him. That was Peter. <laughs> Doesn't that kind of sound like us sometimes? Right? Like, oh, God, I'm all in, man. I, I, I would never do that. I would never do this. Just wait. <laughs> Other foot's getting ready to drop. I would never do that sin, Jesus. I would never go there. I would never forget about that. But our flesh is weak, isn't it? And we fall and we fail. When we're left up to our own devices, to our own abilities, we're just like Peter and we deny Jesus all the time. But when the Spirit comes and fills you and empowers you and transforms you, things change. The Holy Spirit had transformed and changed Peter into a whole new person. He used to be a denier. Now he's a declarer of the things of God to thousands of people. That's the power of God working in your life. And that brings a certain level of boldness. Peter was bold because he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the power of the Holy Spirit could change every single heart in Jerusalem. He had experienced it. Have you experienced that? Has God's Spirit changed your life so remarkably that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he could change anybody that you come in contact with? 
So God was working in his life. The second thing that made Peter bold was God's word. Peter also knew the power of the promises of God's word. He knew what this meant. As he begins to speak and preach, he quotes the Old Testament three different times. Here, the book of Joel, and then in a second, we're going to see he's going to quote the book of Psalms in two different places as well. So here, when he's talking about Joel, he says that Joel's prophecy is being fulfilled right in front of your eyes, right? That the Holy Spirit is being poured out, and it's changing. That's why all these people are prophesying to use Joel's word um, from his writing. So think about this. Why did the Holy Spirit choose that way? Why did the Holy Spirit choose to lead all these people to prophesy or to proclaim God's word. That's basically what prophecy is, okay? Can we clear that up for a second? Prophesying means to proclaim or preach the word of God. So why did God, why did the Holy Spirit lead these people to do this? Because God is always looking to make himself known to his people, to make his mission known. He's calling us in. He's revealing himself through his word, in this case, through his people. He wanted to empower the people to boldly witness so that he could share the gospel with all the nations. You know what's really cool today? Is that we as the church, we have something they never had. We have the finished work of God. We have the full revelation of God's word right here. All we have to do to be equipped by the Holy Spirit in boldness is to know and study God's word. And we can stand on his promises with a boldness that nobody else on this earth has in what is true and right and good. So God's working in your life makes you bold. God's word, knowing it and applying it in your life, makes you bold. And third, the Holy Spirit boldness comes through God's warranty. You know what a warranty is, right? You've got appliances in your house or a car or whatever. You've got warranties on these things. They're a guarantee that things are going to work things are going to go, that it's going to fulfill its purpose. Well, right here in verse 21, look at your Bibles, look at verse 21, Peter declares the guarantee of God that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord might be saved. Is that what it said? Were you looking at your Bible? See, some of y'all don't know because you weren't looking at your Bible. That everyone who calls on the Lord shall be saved. That's the guarantee of God. And to make sure that it drives home, Peter just ran through a whole list of people right before he said this. Did you catch that? Right? He's like, he's like, listen, everyone's included. It doesn't matter what gender you are, male or female. Doesn't matter what your age is, old or young. Doesn't matter what your social status is. You are included. The gospel is for you. You can be saved if you'll call on the Lord. But there's also an implication in that statement that I don't think we can afford to miss. Everyone who calls on the Lord will be saved, which implies everyone who doesn't won't. So when you hear the gospel and you make a choice not to call on the name of Jesus, not to believe and turn to him, you're choosing to not be saved. And for us who are believers, for the church that has already accepted this message of Jesus Christ, 
Think about the implications of that statement for us. How will all the unbelievers in our life, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, how will all the unbelievers, how will they ever be able to call on Jesus if they don't first hear about Jesus from us? They first have to know, they first have to be introduced to him before they can call on him. So our job is to do what Peter did, to stand in boldness and to declare the mighty works of God. Now, as we think about being filled with boldness, I just want to kind of do a little caveat here because boldness can kind of be a tricky thing, right? What I mean by that is sometimes what we think is Holy Spirit boldness is actually confidence in our own flesh, Sometimes what we think we're doing for the Lord, we're actually doing because our sinful heart has some angle on what we're saying or doing, and we have something in it for us. Let me give you some examples, all right? Um, the first one that came to my mind, we just had this conversation a week or two ago, is the classic Christian youth group move, all right? So all you teenagers can just listen up for a second, okay? Here's the deal. It's the, the guy walks up to the girl, and he's like, hey, I was praying, and, and God told me, we're supposed to be together, right? Like we're supposed to, we're supposed to get married. God, I was praying, God told me this, like, and, and the girl's like, really? Because he ain't told me nothing. And I don't know, like, I think this is a two-way thing. And, and guys, don't do that, right? That's a bad play, right? Don't, don't mistake your hormones for the Holy Spirit. That's not what we're going for, okay? So we sometimes we have to be careful. What we think might be Holy Spirit boldness is actually just confidence in us. You also see this sometimes when somebody thinks that they're, they're trying to be helpful, they're trying to be encouraging, they think that they have a word, a word from the Lord for someone, and, and they come up and, and declare this to them. I know when Courtney went through her cancer, um, we, she had several different times where someone would come up and fight that they wanted to, and they, they, they had good intentions, don't get me wrong. They wanted to encourage, they wanted to come alongside and help, and, but um, there was one that came up and she said, uh, they said, uh, I was praying for you. I was praying for you about your cancer and just praying for you. And I felt like God gave me a word to tell you. And uh, she said, um, bananas. Courtney was like, what? Like, I, surely I just misheard what you said. What? She's like, he, he said bananas. And she was, she was like, oh, okay, thanks. And then she's, she's saying, like, yeah, I think, I think you heard that, but I'm not sure it was for me. Like, I think it might have been for you. Like, no, like this is a, so, so be careful when you think you have a word from the Lord if that word is not first from his word, right? Like, if, if you see it here in the written word of God, then you can probably be pretty confident in that. If it's something that you're just coming up with, like, you probably need to check that hard before you go out and start declaring that to other people. We have to discern between boldness and confidence in the flesh. Uh, when, when we were talking about going into full-time ministry, uh, I had been, we were both working, you know, kind of regular uh, jobs, and, and I was serving as an associate pastor kind of on the weekends, and, and I felt like God was, for like a year, I felt like God was kind of pressing me that we were supposed to go into full-time vocational ministry. And I was, I was wrestling with that, and I was like, I really don't know about this, God, and, and so on and so forth. But after a year, um, he said, all right, you need to tell your wife, um, because I'm going to move you somewhere in three to six months. And I was like, oh, yeah, she probably would need to know that. So, um, so I, I go to Courtney, but even then, I was so skeptical. 
because I didn't want this thing to be about like me or, or my confidence and my abilities or my desires. Like, Lord, is this really you moving? And so even then I only went and I told her, I didn't tell anybody else, didn't tell anything about the timeline until like after it had already come true. Cause like, Lord, I just want to test this and I want to stay dependent on you and on your spirit through this process, not dependent on me and my desires or my emotions or my whatever. Right? And so we started to walk, we both felt like God was saying that. So we quit our jobs and we stepped out in faith and we started to apply to churches and pretty soon God started moving and, and he, he did what he said he was going to do. It was a word from the Lord, but first he had to confirm that in my heart by doing a work in me. Secondly, he had to confirm that in his word as I was studying and, and reading and he was speaking to me. And then as I shared it with her, we were on the same page. And we, so there was several steps of God, is this you? before we stepped out and took that bold step of faith and went for it. I think there's just a, a really important kind of filter we need to run that through. Okay, I, I wanna encourage, please hear me. I don't wanna take anything away from what Peter's doing here. I wanna encourage you to step into Holy Spirit boldness. We need more of that, but we need to filter it correctly. So here's the filter I would give you as you're kind of processing through this. Boldness from the Spirit always builds Jesus up more than it builds me up. Think about that. Holy Spirit boldness always builds Jesus up more than it builds me up. Is what I'm getting ready to say, is what I'm getting ready to do, is whatever step I'm getting ready to take, is that really more about making Jesus number one? Is it really about lifting him up and, and making much of him? Or is it about putting me in the spotlight or satisfying some need I have or, or trying to, you know, fulfill a desire or a dream of mine? Which is the real motivation behind this step of boldness? That's the filter we have to run through. So Peter steps up in boldness, filled with the Holy Spirit, and we're going to see something awesome happen. But as we kind of close this point, here's my main idea. Holy Spirit boldness comes from a dependence on him not a confidence in me. That's how I know it's the Holy Spirit. It's, it leads me not to be more confident in myself, but to be more dependent on Jesus Christ. That if I'm gonna step out in boldness here, it's only going to work if Jesus is doing it, because if I do it, it's gonna fail miserably. That's the kind of boldness we're talking about. So that's the first thing we see in the Holy Spirit preaching. Second thing, look at verse 22. We're gonna actually get into Peter's actual sermon now. Here's where he starts the sermon in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David, sa David says concerning him, and here he quotes David's psalm, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at, the right, at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. And he goes back to his sermon. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, 
and his tomb is with us to this day. Beginning, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and for that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Second thing about Holy Spirit preaching is this. Holy Spirit preaching tells the truth. Tells the truth. Notice Peter's very first word of his very first Christian Holy Spirit sermon. He just starts with Jesus, right? I love that. Holy Spirit preaching always begins with, ends with, and is centered around Jesus. He is central to all of it. We just sang that, right? On Christ, the solid rock I stand. Jesus be the center of your church. Jesus is the center. If he's not the center, it's not coming from the Holy Spirit. Whatever you're thinking, whatever you're hearing, whatever's being said or put out there from the preacher or the guy on TV or the book you're reading, if Jesus is not the center of it, it is not from the Holy Spirit. Peter starts with Jesus, and then through the Holy Spirit, he tells us the truth about who Jesus is in five points here. Number one, he tells us that Jesus was sent as God. He says, Jesus Christ, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. So he's telling us right there from the beginning, Jesus was a real man. He was 100% human, Okay. But then he says he was attested by God with mighty works and wonders and signs. So he also had the power of God working in him. So he was 100% man and 100% God all at the exact same time. How does that work? I don't know. But God knows. And because he's God, he's big enough to handle that. And so Jesus came as a real man walking on the earth, just like you and I, yet was also 100% God. And it says here that he came as the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God had a plan to save men from sin, and that was sending his son, Jesus Christ, as a human to walk a perfect sinless life on this earth. So he was sent as God. Number two, he was crucified by men. It says here, Peter says he was killed at the hands of lawless men. That the Jewish leaders and the Romans conspired together to unjustly kill Jesus Christ. If there was anyone who had ever walked the face of the earth who did not deserve punishment, especially death, it was him. And yet, he was killed at the hands of lawless men. He was the perfect sinless substitute who died in our place for our sins. I was thinking about this this week and I wrote this down. Jesus, he was killed by sinners for being God. 
and he was killed by God to save sinners. Think about the, the dichotomy there. Men thought that they were achieving their ends by killing this guy who claimed to be God. And all along, God was sitting up in heaven like, this is my plan. And I'm killing my son so that I can save all of you as you rebel against him. Sent as God, crucified by men. Third, he was raised by God. Peter goes on, he says, he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Again, he's quoting there a psalm written by David, but he's telling the people, listen, you thought David was talking about himself, but David's not talking about himself. He died, he was buried, we can still go see the tomb right now, right? Like, it's still here. We can go see his dead, rotting body. David wasn't talking about himself. He was prophesying about his son, about his heir that was going to come and be the Messiah that saved sinners. He says in Jesus, God raised him up from death. And he says, and to this, we are all witnesses. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the, one, the 120 people who have been praying for 10 days, waiting for the Holy Spirit. They all saw him alive after his crucifixion. Think about that, 120 people. That would hold up in any court of law, anywhere in all of history. <laughs> like if you were trying to prove in a court of law that Jesus did not come back from the, from the grave and you had 120 people stand up and say, no, I saw him, no one could defute that, right? So here's Peter's logic. Follow this in his sermon for a second. Here's Peter's logic. The Old Testament through David prophesied that the Messiah would rise from death. Jesus rose from death, therefore, Jesus is the Messiah. I only had one logic class in college, but that seems to check out to me. Everybody else following that, right? I think Peter's on point here. The resurrection is so key. Another thing I noticed when I was studying this, there's 14 verses that make up the content of Peter's sermon here. Nine of the 14 verses are focused solely on the resurrection. Not the life of Jesus, not the death of Jesus, not the exaltation of Jesus. He spends his time, his energy, his focus, he emphasizes the resurrection because as I've said before, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the linchpin to the Christian faith. If you don't have the resurrection, he's just another dead guy. Right? Like if he didn't come back to life, then he can't really be God. He can't really be the Messiah. He can't be who he said he was unless he rose from death. So this is the most important piece. He was raised by God. Then, number four, he was exalted with God. Peter goes on to say that he is now at the right hand of God. The right hand in this day and age was a position of supreme honor and absolute power. If you sat at the right hand of the king, you were in charge of everything. And again, he makes the, the point here that David's not talking about himself when he says this. He says, David did not ascend. David did not ascend into heaven. He's not sitting up there with God right now at the right hand. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about his heir, the Messiah, the exalted Jesus. And then the fifth thing is that he is crowned as Lord. He closes with God has made him both Lord and Christ. 
right now, as we breathe, as we talk, as we worship, Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, reigning and ruling as Lord of everything and everyone. No one can challenge him. No one can usurp him. There is nothing he's worried about. He is ruling the universe with his feet propped up. Like, this is not taxing for him at all. Right? Jesus has got this under control. And what that means for you and I is simply this. If Jesus truly is Lord over everything, then every single one of us are either in rebellion against Christ or in submission to Christ. There is no middle ground. You can't claim neutral. You either are submitted to Jesus as Lord and Savior and King, or you are playing for the other team and you are in rebellion with Satan and all the other demons against the rule and the reign of Jesus Christ. Which side are you on? Where are you at? That, my friends, is the hard truth of the Bible, of the gospel. This is what the Holy Spirit does. It tells us the truth about who Jesus is. But it also tells us the truth about who we are. The Holy Spirit tells the truth about me. And Peter ends his statement in front of a, thousands of people. This is what he says to them. Almost a mob, if you will. Because they don't even know, it's not like they came to church that day, like, all right, let's hear about Jesus. No, they just like came together because they heard these people talking in all these different languages. So to this mob, he says, this Jesus whom you crucified. Like, I can see him, like, pointing at his finger, who you crucified crucified. It was your sin. It was your rebellion. It was your rejection that sent Jesus to the cross. You may not have a chanted in the crowd. You may not have cast your vote. You may not have nailed his hands to the cross, but do not mistake the fact that you killed Jesus. He died because of your sin. He died because of my sin. We did this. This is on us. Our sinful hearts and lives deserve a just punishment of eternity in hell separated from Almighty God. That's the truth about you and me. That's the hard truth that the Holy Spirit tells us. But it's only when I clearly see the bad news of my sin that I can see the good news of Jesus. I have to step into that first. I have to understand who I am and who he is. Did I forget to put that picture in there, Billy? Is there a picture in there? No? Okay. My bad. So this week I was thinking about this, and I started thinking about fire alarms. You remember the, the fire alarms? Like, in, you could probably find one here in, in this room, probably somewhere. But like the ones in schools where you could, like, it's got the handle, and you can pull it down if there's a fire, right? 
when you were in school, did, did you ever just want to pull that just to see what would happen? Like, is that, is that just me? Like, anybody else just want to be like, what, what's going to happen right here, right? Like, I didn't study for tests and algebra, so I'm just going to do this, right? and we'll just kind of see where this goes, right? So what, we all know that. What happens when you pull that? Alarm goes off, and fire department comes, right? That's the whole purpose of the fire alarm. So this last week, at, uh, our girls came home from school one day and told us that somebody had pulled one of the fire alarms at school. And, and so you know what that, that means. And so that's, that's a really, really good thing if there's truly a fire, right? If there's really a fire, that's good because then rescue happens and people are saved and disaster is averted because the fire, firemen all show up. But if there's no fire, it's a really bad thing. Because now somebody's probably getting suspended, and you got a you got a, a, a you know a, a bill to pay to the fire department for a false alarm, and it's just it's just a bad day when there's not really a fire, and you pull the fire alarm. You tracking with me? The difference in those two scenarios is that in one there's a real imminent threat, and in the other there isn't. The fire department showing up is only good news if it's in response to the bad news of a real fire. Jesus showing up and going to the cross is only good news if there really is bad news that somebody needed to be saved from going to that cross. Jesus dying on the cross for sin is only good news if it's true that I am actually a sinner in need of a savior. The gospel is only valuable to sinners. That's why so many people in our world cast it off as unimportant and not for them because they don't understand, they don't see, they don't believe that they need it. We haven't first shown them and helped them to realize the depths of their sin. We just want to give them some happy Jesus and see like, yeah, just love Jesus and everything's going to be great. Salvation doesn't work that way. It starts with this. Recognition that I need him. The Holy Spirit tells me the truth about my sin so I can see the truth of my need for a savior. I have to know the truth. So Holy Spirit preaching is bold. Holy Spirit preaching tells the truth for the third thing. Look at verse 37. It says, after, after he gets done preaching, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The Holy Spirit preaching brings new life. That's the third thing. It brings new life. When they heard the message from Peter, when they heard his bold preaching and who Jesus was and who they are, they said, what shall we do? Like, I'm not even sure, I'm not even sure he got to finish. They just start crying out, like, what shall we do? 
We've opposed God. We have sinned. We have rebelled. Now what do we do? It says that they were cut to the heart. We call that conviction. When the Holy Spirit comes and he convicts your heart, your soul of sin. And conviction is absolutely necessary for true repentance and salvation. Until you feel conviction for your sin, you cannot truly repent and be saved. So they're crying out, what shall we do? And Peter simply says one word, repent. Turn away from your sin and turn towards God. That's what repentance is. Lay down your desires and submit to his desires. Repentance first requires admitting that my way is broken. It's not working. My thing's not working and I need your way, God. It means stepping off the throne of my life and submitting to the throne of Jesus Christ. He says, repent. And after you've repented, he says, be baptized. As a public declaration of your allegiance to Jesus. I think it's also interesting, he says, every one of you be baptized. In other words, you each have to make this decision for yourself. Because salvation and baptism is a personal decision that you make to follow Jesus. Nobody can make it for you. He says, be baptized in the name of Jesus. In his name. In other words, as I'm submitting to him, I'm coming in on his team, I'm under his rule now. If you have been saved, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ and you have not yet been baptized, man, you need to do that. The Bible urges us over and over again, repent and be baptized. Go public, let people know I'm with Jesus. We do this a couple times a year. We're gonna be doing one later this fall. If you're saved and you've never been baptized, man, you need to get on that list. Peter says, repent and be baptized and then you will get new life. You'll be part of the family of God. And that brings two gifts, he says. First, forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. That's like two sides of the same coin, right? Forgiveness of your sins, pardon from the sins of your old life, and receive the Holy Spirit, power to walk in new life. That's what he's saying, right? When you come to God, he erases all the past, and he gives you a whole new future by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then he tags on this. He says, and this promise is not just for you, but for your children and for those who are far off, for everyone that God calls. Peter's sermon here applies just as much to you and I today as it did to the thousands who listened in Jerusalem that day. It's for everyone, he says. God promises you forgiveness and a new life filled with the power of the Holy Spirit if you will repent and believe. What about you today? Do you hear Jesus calling you? Do you hear the Holy Spirit calling you to himself, convicting you of sin, showing you who you really are? If that's you, man, will you believe? Will you repent? Will you turn away from the sin of your old life and embrace the forgiveness and the new life that Jesus offers?
then Luke says that Peter, he says he bore witness and continued to exhort them, save yourselves. This is the mission of the church. If you're a member of Harvest Bible Chapel, if you consider yourself a member of Jesus' church, even if it's not here, our job, our mission is to be a bold witness and to exhort others, save yourselves. Every lost person in your life who is going to hell, your job is to tell them, save yourselves. Believe in Jesus Christ. Turn from that and believe, save yourselves. This is what we have to be doing, church. The Spirit tells me the truth so I can embrace the true Savior through repentance and faith. It's all driving to this. And our job is to tell other people the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit so they can embrace Jesus and turn in repentance and faith. I started off with this statement. The Spirit tells me the truth about myself and my Savior. You have to have both. You have to know who you are, sinner, and know who he is, Savior, to put it all together and repent and believe. The story ends, I didn't even get to the last verse, the story ends with 3,000 souls being added to the family of God today. What about you? Where's your soul today? Is it part of the family of God? Or is it still part of the kingdom of darkness? If you have not yet come into the light, if you have not yet believed in Jesus Christ, let him call you today. Respond with repentance and faith and be saved from sin. If you're already saved, if you've already done that, let me ask you this. Where are the souls around you? The other souls in your life, your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, your family members, where are they at? Are they part of the family of God yet? Or are they still laying dead in the kingdom of darkness? Our job is to let the spirit who has changed us work through us to exhort them, save yourselves and bring them into the family of God. So right now I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing. I just, want you to let, I just want you to just open your heart and just let the Holy Spirit just speak. Maybe he's calling you to believe and repent and be saved today. If that's you, man, do that. Maybe he's calling you to be more open and to be a bolder witness or to, to, to step out in power and let him use you in some fresh and new ways. Be open to that. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and speak through you as he wants to. The Holy Spirit preaches and he does it through the mouths of God's people. Let's stand and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, for our time together today. Thank you, Lord, that you call us, that you don't leave us lost in sin, you don't leave us drowning. You step in and you tell us the truth. Expose our sinfulness. You, you 
expose our brokenness. You expose our need for a savior. Lord, if there's somebody here today who hasn't had that yet, Lord, do that in their heart right now. Lord, show them, reveal to them their sinfulness that they need you. Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die in our place for our sins and to rise back to life, to offer us forgiveness and new life with you in the spirit. Father, call the lost to yourself right here, right now, that they may be saved and call the saved to step out in bolder witness so more might be saved as well. Lord, use us to deliver the gospel call to those souls that are not yet in the family of God. Lord, we come to you now. We come to you in repentance of sin. We come to you in repentance of complacency. Strengthen us in your spirit. In Christ's name.